0: Good morning. How's everybody today? You all right? You alive? You awake? Barely awake. Barely alive. All right. Well, Pastor Matt talked about Star Wars prequels. I just want to take a vote. Are you a yes, Star Wars prequels, or no? So if it's a yes, Star Wars prequels, raise your hand. Anybody? How about no? Okay, we're going to take a second vote. Yes, Star Wars prequels minus Jar Jar anyone is that change any minds okay all right it was almost it was almost good oh a good prequel gotta love a good prequel I thought Rogue One was a good one it was better anyway um, <laughs> it was a better prequel story what is the purpose of a prequel right it's to tell the back story it's to tell the backstory of something, it's to give the history, it's to help you further understand the character development and all these kinds of things. It's interesting, if, you, if you've relocated, has anyone moved to Washington in the last two years, two, three years, anyone? Okay, there's one there, right? Has anyone started going to this church in the last two or three years? Right? raise your hand, look at all those hands. Now, what's crazy, that's awesome. But what's, what's wild about that is is you come into a new church and a new state, and there's a whole story that people don't know about you. And sometimes that's a good thing. <laughs> and sometimes it's like, I wish you just knew what I've walked through. We get into these places, and, and we're just, uh, it's like some, they don't know. We just know you for who you are today. We don't know. Some of you have friends that in high school that you still are in contact with, and they know you in a different way than I know you, right? And so we have these because they know the prequel. They know the early parts. They know the early stories. So uh, we're going to talk about the prequel today. If you could turn this down just a little bit, please. Um, I'm hearing myself twice, and I only like to hear myself zero times. So um, <laughs> our theme this year is Break Ground. We believe that God is breaking ground. Hosea 10, 12, sow for yourself righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that he may reign, reigns of righteousness upon you. I mean, this is, this is, the, this is the call, this is what we believe God is doing, that God is gonna break ground in our lives. And in this sermon series, this sermon series is called Sacred Ground. We're gonna look at the sacred ground in this series, we're going to find in the Bibles God's people in a place of captivity. It wasn't the promise we've we've studied different things like Joshua and we've looked at them enter in into the Promised Land. But in this series, what we see is they're in captivity, and their homeland was in absolute ruins, and they would have to break ground in order to see it restored. If you ever read Nehemiah, has anyone ever read Nehemiah before? He's rebuilding the walls of the city. And there's the walls of Jerusalem have been destroyed. And he comes and he rebuilds these walls. And it creates this place of refuge and safety for the people. But before the walls were rebuilt, something else needed to happen. Ground needed to be broken on the temple. Ground needed to be broken in the spiritual places. God wanted to do something with the sacred ground. Because the sacred ground takes priority over the natural ground. And so often in our lives, we look at the natural things and we try to start there. But I hope that you'll see in this series as we go through this, that God wants to do an internal thing in you. He wants to work on the spiritual places. He wants to work on the sacred places in your life to rebuild us spiritually. And maybe we're not torn down spiritually, but he wants to build us stronger from where we are today. So let's go after the sacred ground. Today, we're going to look at the prequel to the book of Ezra. So we're going to be, this series is going to go through the book of Ezra, and um, we're going to be looking at how the Israelites in exile came to a place where God had called them to rebuild a spiritual center for their lives, to rebuild the spiritual center. And today we're going to look at the prequel to Ezra. And I just have to warn you, it's, there's going to be some information overload, so take lots of notes and uh there's we have our church app abundant life Ording, and you can follow along in there as well but there's going to be a lot of information i want you to understand as we walk into this series i want you to be able to imagine what's happening in your mind you ever read a good book and it's really descriptive and you can kind of just picture it and you know what the characters look like and you can see the settings and then they make a movie and ruin it does that ever happen all the time and they left out the good parts you, I want you to be able to picture what's happening and see what's happening, and maybe some of you know some of these things, but I, I want to I dig into the backstory, the prequel, so to speak, of Ezra chapter 1. First, let's read our first two verses in Ezra 1, and then we'll, we'll get into that. It says, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah." that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Then says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And we're going to just stop right there and we're gonna we're gonna dig into these two verses. As I was studying this week, what I realized is there's just so much to be learned right here in just an intro, just a quick little setup. And and actually, if you just out of just kind of for fun, if you go to turn back a page in your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter thirty-six, it says the exact same thing in verse twenty two and twenty-three. It's a repeat of Ezra one, one and two. So they're, they're showing us here that this whole, this, this whole story in 2 Chronicles where the Israelites are taken into captivity, it continues in Ezra 1. 1. That's pretty unusual in the Bible. It, it doesn't usually happen where the same scripture is in the end of one book and the beginning of the next. And so in my mind, I think we should pay attention to that. Why, why is that in there a couple of times? What do we need to understand about this? So this book of Ezra that we're going to be studying for the next few months, it's going to take us a while to get through it. It's centered around this proclamation of Cyrus. This proclamation to return home and rebuild the dwelling place of God, the house of the Lord. It's the story of a spiritual rebuild, a breaking ground on this dwelling place for God. It's actually a story of revival, which is exciting because we're seeing revival pop up all over the place right now. And I would say in our country, but it's actually popping up all over the world where there's revivals happening. And in Ezra, God is waking up his people. He's waking them up, and he's calling them to walk in his ways. So as we, as we get into this book about this rebuild, some of you are thinking, we're not building a temple. Well, how does this connect to me and you? In 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says this, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? When we read about the book of Ezra, here's what I need you to know. It's about you. It's about you. The Holy Spirit wants to breathe into the Word of God, and He wants to begin to reveal things to you and and understand that He wants to do something in your temple. He wants to do something within you. He wants to bring a revival within you, and there is this sacred ground that God wants to build upon, a spiritual awakening, a return to devotion, an attention to becoming the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we're going to dig into, but before we get into this building process, let's take a look at how this whole thing started. How did this whole... I I think it's important to know the mess that they got themselves into. Let's figure out how they got here, maybe so that we don't end up in the same place. (laughs) Next week, we're going to get into this proclamation, but today I have questions. You ever read the Bible and just finish your reading for the day and say, God, I have questions. (laughs) Has that ever happened to you? Every week when I study, God, I have questions. So here's my questions for today out of these first two verses and I'll just list them up here on the screen so you can follow. Who is Cyrus? Where is Persia? What was the prophecy of Jeremiah? How did the Lord stir up his spirit? And where in here did the Lord tell him to build? Because he says all these things, verses one and two. And so I think it's important for us to have answers to those questions as we dig into this book so we can see what's going on. So let's, let's start digging into this. Uh, first, let's figure out who is Cyrus and where is Persia. Cyrus of Persia. Let's take a look at this man. And I've got a map for you, which is hopefully going to be really helpful. Let's go to the next slide. Okay, we've got a map here. And if I think it's on your app too. You can look a little closely. So here we have the Middle East. Uh, the, the right side of the Middle East, that, that's where we see Iran um, today. And then just to the left is Iraq. And then you've got, uh, in the upper left purple, you have Syria and Turkey. Turkey uh, Turkey's actually like the brown Light brown, whatever color that is part, as well. Uh, directly below the, the, that left side of the, the purple section, you've got Syria, you've got Israel. And then all the way down in the Arabian Desert is where Saudi Arabia is today. So this is all uh, the Middle East that we're looking at. This is all the land. And in this time, uh, we're going to figure out how the Persian Empire began. And this was the Persian Empire. So all of this that you see up here, all those colors, were all the Persian Empire... And Cyrus actually was the one who started the Persian Empire and took over all of it, except for the yellow part, Egypt and Libya, which his son ended up conquering. But it all started with a small group of semi-nomadic tribes. And the little green area, Persis, is where it all began. Small but mighty. Small but mighty. I just I see God doing something spiritually in, in ording, kind of like this where there's something that seems small in a small little place, the smallest country on the map, and yet something huge happened out of it. It started as a collection of semi-nomadic tribes. They raised sheep, goats, and cattle in this region of Persis. Cyrus was simply a leader of one tribe, and he began taking ground, eventually taking over the rulership of all of Persis. And within 15 years, this is crazy, within 15 years, he turned this small little collection of tribes into the world's first superpower, all of Persia. The first country he took was Media. That's the purple section there. Unlike most conquerors, though, Cyrus, as you read in the Bible where they would conquer a place and they'd wipe everyone out, Cyrus didn't do that. He didn't automatically remove rulers from their thrones. He didn't remove from their places, which is surprising to me, personally because he actually after persis he started as a vassal king a vassal king is simply a king who has been given authority but they have to pay they have to bow under the main king so this region of of the medes or media which is all the purple section he had had a really tiny rulership role but then he overthrew the entire country the entire region And then when he started taking power, he left people that were in authority and in rulership because they were already leading well, he would leave many of them into the places that they were already ruling. And we'll get into that further in the story, but that's going to matter that that's the kind of ruler that Silas was. And in this case, he gave the median nobles high positions in his court and in his army. We'll read about one of them here in a little while. He also left existing rulers in place during transitional periods. So sometimes he would just leave them in place, and sometimes he'd leave them in place for a season during a transition, and once the country had transitioned, then he would take over that region and place new rulership there. So he expanded his territory to the west. He took over uh, Lydia, which we see all the way over where modern-day Turkey is, um, to the left of the purple there. And then he finally took on the Babylonian Empire, which surrendered, ended up surrendering without a fight. At this point, the Babylonian Empire was huge at this point, but they just surrendered, and that's the light green. And that's the region in which Israel sat at the time. So, So why does all this matter? Why does all this history matter? Why does Cyrus matter? I think it's pretty awesome what Cyrus did, because God ended up using a worldly king to bring revival to his people. When you, when you look at the history of Persia, you see a, someone who is really like declaring war on people, taking over countries, wiping them out, and yet God used this man to bring revival. Don't underestimate who God will use to bring revival. He will use whoever he desires to bring revival, and his story intersects With the exile of God's people. And as we get into the exile, note uh, here I've got a couple circles. If you can hit the next slide, Um, that's Jerusalem, and then that is Babylon. So if you've read about the exile of the Israelites from Jerusalem, they were taken captive from Jerusalem on the left, and they went up and around, and they ended up in captivity in Babylon. So let's take a look at the exile, because this is when Ezra 1 happens, when it opens, they are in exile. That's what's happening. They've been taken out of their homeland. Into a foreign land. Now, what is the exile? The exile was actually a fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy. Remember in Ezra chapter 1, when we were just reading, it said this: it said, by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. Jeremiah chapter 25 foretells, he prophesied that the Israelites would be in captivity for 70 years. That's a long time. 70 years. And he prophesies, this is pretty fascinating, if you go to Jeremiah 25, we're not going to read through that today. He actually prophesies by name that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, will capture Jerusalem and force God's people into exile. And that's exactly what will happen. And then he says in Jeremiah 25:12, he says that the king of Babylon, not Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon will be punished after 70 years. This is all prophesied in Scripture. It's amazing how Scripture weaves together. And this intersects directly, if you put the Bible on a timeline, and compare it to what other historians have put on a timeline, Jeremiah's prophecy intersects directly with the timeline of Cyrus defeating Babylon. So the defeat that Jeremiah prophesied about of the king of Babylon after 70 years is exactly to the year when Cyrus defeated Babylon. Babylon. Now, the account of exile actually is in the book of Daniel. So we're going to turn to the book of Daniel. I don't know if I'm going to read any scriptures out of here. I'm mostly going to recap for you. Um, I might have a couple. But if we go to the book of Daniel, what we find is that in Daniel chapter 1, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, comes to Jerusalem. Has anyone ever read Daniel? Daniel, the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all those guys. Uh, classic kid stories. Like, I love, we tell kids stories. Like, oh, kids, guess what? Men got thrown in a fire. (laughs) Oh, kids, how sweet. Like, they threw them to lions to be devoured alive. Like, these are the basis, these are the best kid stories we came up with, right? (laughs) God drowned the entire earth with a flood. They all died. Like, somehow these are the best kids. Somehow they're the best kid stories, but they're right here in Daniel. And um, I don't know, we just use the different, I don't know, it's always been odd to me. Sorry, sorry, back backtrack okay so in the book of Daniel we read about the exile and the king of Nebuchadnezzar comes to Jerusalem it says right in in the very first chapter he besieged it and he took God's people into captivity now if you remember from Daniel here's what Nebuchadnezzar did he intentionally took the youth do you see what God's doing in our youth right now in our nation you see what God is doing in this generation that's coming up it's incredible what God is doing right now in this generation. So the, the, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, was smart. He knew that that's where God was working. And so he took these youth and he indoctrinated them with Babylonian ideology. That never, doesn't happen here in America. I just want to be clear. No connection, no relation. Maybe. But the king it was indoctrinating the youth and he would take them into his court. And among those youth that we know about, were Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. And we've heard those stories if we've been in church. If not, go read the first part of Daniel. It's pretty exciting. And the first three were thrown into that fiery furnace, Daniel in the lion's den. And what happened to all of them? God delivered them. God rescued all of them. And God gave Daniel the spiritual gift of interpreting dreams and visions. So throughout Daniel, we see him interpreting dreams for Nebuchadnezzar and for the kings, and he's, he's elevated to this place, this position. As time went by, Daniel became a trusted counselor to the king. He went from someone, and this is important if we remember, Daniel went from a place in which he was getting promoted in this place, but he wasn't buying in to the indoctrination because he was saying, look, my God is who I will serve in him alone. And so Daniel becomes this counselor, And in Daniel 5, he's called on to interpret interpret mysterious handwriting on the wall. Has anyone ever heard this story? There's This king, no longer Nebuchadnezzar, I think it was Belshazzar was his name, and he was having a big party, and all of a sudden, this handwriting appears on the wall, and it says something like, um, like, Mene, Tekel, Peres, or something like that, right? And it says in verse 25 of Daniel 5, this is Daniel chapter 5, they call on Daniel because all the magicians couldn't figure it out. So they call on Daniel and say, Daniel, will you interpret this mysterious thing on the wall? And Daniel says this, this is Daniel 5, 25 to 20, he says, the days of your kingdom are numbered. That's the first word. The second word, tekel, means you have been weighed and you have come up short. And the third word means your kingdom will be given to the Medes and the Persians. At that moment, we read from Daniel 5 that Daniel is instantly promoted to third in command of the kingdom because he gave that interpretation. So at that moment, now Daniel's third in command, and then later that same night, Cyrus's army came and they took control of Babylon and it became part of the Persian Empire. It didn't take very long for that interpretation to come to pass. So we're, we're watching this intersection happen between Cyrus and in the book of Daniel. And he appointed, remember, he kept rulers in place, Darius the Mede from the land of Media as the ruler over that region. Okay, so all this is happening. This is all happening to the Israelites. There's a bunch of craziness going on. And then we get to the turning point, And this is pretty exciting. Well, I want to get to these last two questions of Ezra 1. The questions were, how did the Lord stir up the spirit of Cyrus? And when did the Lord charge him to build? Well, what we see is the first thing that happened is actually the Lord stirred up the spirit of Darius. He was the first one, and that impacted Cyrus. Remember in Daniel chapter six, here's we get to our Daniel in the lion's den. If you recall, if you don't know the story, I'll give you the quick recap. Some people set out, they didn't like Daniel. He was, he, he was different than everyone else. He didn't buy into all the ideology. And so they tried to set him up. And they said, let's make a rule new king Darius, we want to honor you, and want to serve you. They were brown nosers, okay? And they said, let's make it, we have to, everybody has to pray to you. And Darius says, great. And Daniel says, uh-uh, ain't gonna happen. I pray to God and God alone, and that's it. And so Daniel refuses to stop praying. I love what Daniel did. It says that he went to his home, and he sat in the window. If you want to not get caught, you don't sit in the window. You go into the closet. You go hide in the bathroom and pray. He sat in the window and said, my God, my God, I will bow to you alone. And he wasn't going to change. He was not going to compromise. And so as a result of that, Darius liked Daniel, but now all these other people were like, you got to follow your own rules. So he says, okay, Daniel disobeyed. Let's throw him in the lion's den and Darius is like, oh God, spare this man. So Daniel goes in, and he, the next morning, they open up the cistern, and they, Daniel's in there. He's petting the lions, you know. He's feeding them treats. They're just, you know, they're jumping through hoops with fire. I mean, like, he's got them all trained. It's amazing, you know. Like, just incredible, and the king can't believe it. And so the king's like, Daniel, come out. And then the other guys who made Daniel go in, he's like, See ya. And down, down they went. And then the lions were magically hungry that morning. <laughs> that's, what, that's, that's the kids' version. Um, so here's what Darius writes in Daniel 6. Daniel 6, verse 26. Darius wrote to all the people, nations, and languages that dwell on earth. Daniel 6, 26 says this. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of God. Daniel. This is really important, and I won't get into all the backstory. But uh, the Persians and the Medes—they they served a different god. They served a different god, and and we, that's another whole long story we don't have time for today. But it's amazing that he said they will tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for He is the living God, enduring forever, and His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and His dominion shall be to the end amazing for a king, a ruler, to declare that it is God's kingdom that will never be destroyed. He knew, there's nothing I can do. This God that he's praying to, there's nothing. I'm not messing with him, man. I am not messing with him, because I have seen the evidence. And when Darius decreed this throughout the whole land, a stirring began in the rulers of the Persian empire, and something happened Something happened then in Daniel chapter 9. We're going to go to Daniel 9, and it lines up historically. And I want you to know, like, most of my research this week was actually, don't, don't throw stones at me, was not out of the Bible. I did a lot of that too. But I did a lot of research through different historical works, including the History Channel, of all things. <laughs> Lots of different historical. So this is, what I'm telling you is all supported by historical documented evidence, okay? If you ever, if you ever, people need to say, I don't know what the Bible says. It's all there. It's all backed up. It's all agreed upon. So there's this stirring in the empire, and then in Daniel 9, what happens, and you can read this later if you'd like, Daniel begins to cry out before the Lord in repentance and desperation, to say, God, God, I need you to come and help us. And Daniel actually, specifically, and you'll see in Daniel 9, he goes to God and he says, God, about that prophecy that Jeremiah gave, God, I think it times about, God, I think it's been 70 years. Can you imagine, you say, God, I'm gonna hold you to your promise. God, Jeremiah declared that we would be in captivity seven years. So there's, this is way in the future at this point. Daniel's an old man now. And Because and, he was taken in his youth. And so we get to chapter 9, and Daniel's now old and gray, and he says, God, it's time. Jeremiah prophesied, and God, your time's up. <laughs> you said. So God, deliver us. But God, on behalf of my people, I repent for what got us here in the first place. God, please rescue us. God, rescue us the way that Jeremiah declared that we would be rescued. Move on our behalf. God, bring revival to my people again. And I believe that it is in this moment that the stirring of the spirit of Cyrus came about. That the stirring of the spirit of Cyrus was an answer to Daniel's prayer in Daniel chapter 9. That when it says in Ezra 1:1, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus. On a timeline that happens immediately after Daniel cries out to the Lord and says, God, would you do something? We need you to deliver us. See, we don't don't just open up the book of Ezra and go, wow, that's a cool story that a worldly king randomly decided to set God's people on a path to revival. It's so great that just a random chain of events that he just wanted to bless God's people. No. There was a full-on prequel to Ezra chapter 1 to his story. And the final part of the prequel answers our last question. When did the Lord tell Cyrus to build? Let's look at Daniel's influence because this is so important to the text. God used Daniel's life as a catalyst for the revival of Israel. We look at the book of Daniel and we see prophecy and we see there's end times prophecy we see there's he prophesied about when Jesus was going to come and he nailed it like exactly when you when you map out the years all this stuff and these stories are so much in Daniel but the big thing I want you to see in Daniel is that God used his life as a catalyst for the revival of Israel a revival that he wasn't going to see with his own eyes Daniel didn't go back to Jerusalem to rebuild. You wonder that. Okay, we're talking about Daniel and we're talking about this prayer. Why didn't he go back? He was in his late 80s, early 90s at this point. And it was like a several month long dangerous trek. If I'm in my 80s and 90s, I'm sorry. The young folks can go do all the heavy lifting at this point. I'm good where I'm at. I've lived my life. I've had my influence. But God used his life to influence kings. And Daniel being in a high position of power had access to both Darius and Cyrus. Remember, Daniel's at this high position, and when Cyrus came in, and when Darius came in, they left him in that position of power. They left him in that position of authority. And so God was stirring in the spirit of Cyrus. Now, his stir, spirit was stirring, it says in Ezra 1, but how in the world does Cyrus know what to do? That was my last question that I was wondering. What do you mean the Lord charged you? How do you know what to do? We know that the Spirit was, well, we just, I gotta do something to help you people out. Maybe can I, I'll build you new houses or I'll give you all Bibles, which obviously wouldn't have been the case then, but you know, I'll do something to bless you. How would he have known what to do unless someone told him what needed to be done? See, someone who Cyrus trusted, someone who is unnamed in our Bible, someone who is unnamed, we know this, brought Cyrus a book. Someone came to Cyrus and said, I would like you to read this, please. I have a book for you to read. I believe that someone was Daniel. I don't have any definitive proof, but in our Bible, we see that there was one person in a high position of authority who had access to the Persian king, and that was Daniel. And so I come to the conclusion that God used him for this purpose. We learn how it all unfolded, really, from a first century historian named Josephus. Josephus was, lived in the very first century. He was born in like AD 30, 37, I think. And in book 11 of his writing called Antiquities of the Jews, he tells us this, quote, Thus saith Cyrus the king, Since God Almighty hath appointed me to be the king of the habitable earth, I believe that he is that God which the nation of the Israelites worship. For indeed, he foretold my name by the prophets that I should build him a house at Jerusalem in the country of Judea. Josephus goes on to say that this was known to Cyrus by reading the book which Isaiah left. That's his exact words. that he, This was known to Cyrus by his reading the book which Isaiah left. So what did Isaiah leave? 200 years earlier, this is 200 years earlier. I want you to hear what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 44, verse 28. This blows my mind. It says, I am the Lord who says of Cyrus, before he's even born, I, who says of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, She shall be built, and of the temple your foundation shall be laid. 200 years. Can you imagine? He goes on in Isaiah 45 with phrases like, The Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, I call you by your name, he says this to Cyrus, 200 years before, I name you, though you do not know me. Can you imagine reading this? Can you, I, I can't imagine if someone handed me a book that was written 200 years ago, and it says, And the Lord declares that Brad will pastor a church called Abundant Life in Ording, I would like fall over. I'd pass out. I wouldn't know what to do. It would freak me out. I'd be like, can we get this time authenticated? Because I just don't know if I can believe it. It's crazy. But this is what happened in Cyrus's life. And his stirring of the spirit of the Lord because Daniel prayed for him. Some of you have been praying for people. And you're saying, there's no hope. This was a Persian conqueror who wiped out People. And Daniel prays for him, and there's a stirring in his heart, and so that when the Lord had done something in his heart, some of you are waiting, and you're praying for someone, and you're saying, oh, it'll never be a breakthrough, but God's going to give you the right time. You need to pray for someone to come into that life and say, God, I need you to bring a Daniel to show them Isaiah. I need you to bring someone. God, would you begin to open his heart, open her heart to see, Lord God, And God used Isaiah, he used Jeremiah, and he used Daniel to impact the future. And as we turn to the book of Ezra for this series, here's what I want you to know. Their lives were all a prequel to this story. An incredible story about God's people reviving their hearts, reviving their spirits, reviving their nation. And I wonder what we do in our lives. What if we could look through a lens called prequel. What if we looked through the prequel lens? What is the prequel lens? When I was reading and studying this week, I started in Ezra, but then I had to begin to look at it through the prequel lens. What happened to lead to this? What if we change the lens through which we view our own lives? See, I look, I look back from today, and that's my past, and I look forward from today, and that's my future. And we naturally tend to look at our lives as the central story. We are the main character. We are what the story is about. And of course, that's how each of us are made. That's how our brains are wired. That I am the central part of my story. But what if God wants to use you to impact someone else's story? What if he wants to use you to impact someone else's story? When we we put on the lens, I wish we could just put on some glasses, some kind of lens. The prequel lens opens our eyes to see that God's plans are bigger than us. To step back and to say, God, what if you could use me to impact someone else's story? To look back and say, God, who have you used in my life to build my story? Sometimes I feel like we need to just step back and get some perspective and look through that lens because we, we are so inward so often. And if we could just stop and appreciate those who broke ground before us so that, we could, that we're here today in this place. If I could say, God, who broke ground before me so that I could be where I am today? I didn't plant this church, I didn't start this church. Someone else broke ground. Someone else broke ground. Some of you in your families are first-generation Christians. There's no one in your past, and you are breaking ground for the future. There's others of you that need to call your grandma and thank her for praying for you today because she broke ground in your life before you even knew it. And there's the stories that have come before us, and we need those stories. We need to stop and think and take a moment and realize God has a plan that's way beyond me, that it goes way farther than me, I was thinking about the asbury revival and many of you have heard about that i there's over in kentucky and it sparked a bunch of college campuses and it's amazing and we're sitting back and watching this revival going, wow but here's what you need to know revival doesn't just happen out of nowhere it looks like it to the outside it looks like it just just kind of took off it seemed to it just revival and then revival here and just pops up all over the country but do you know that the revival at asbury had a prequel there was a prequel. Started all the way back in the 1970s when there was a revival that God had then. But it began months before this revival. It began years before. If you talk to some of the people on campus, they'll tell you that students had been crying out to God for months, even years, that he would descend upon their campus. And they prayed and they prayed. And in the early days, the first few days of the revival, it was just You know, 50, 25, 50, 100 students. The ones who had been praying all year long, God, would you pour out your spirit? God, and they prayed and they cried out, God, we repent before you. And they had been doing that for some time. And they were breaking ground in places that nobody saw. And you and I will probably never know their names. But they impacted our country. They impacted us. They did something within us that said, God can still move. Because they broke ground in those sacred places. When I look at Daniel's life, his decisions in the present impacted the revival in the future. His decisions today. Can you imagine if Daniel would have said, okay, God, I'll, I'll pretend to bow. I'll pretend to pray to this king. I, we, I know I'm still praying to you, but I want to make sure the, the imaging's right because I've got my position of authority and I can't I can't post on Facebook that I'm praying to you, so I'll just... He could have done lots of things. Imagine if he had just considered his time in Persia a waste. Well, I guess I'm just going to have to just do what this guy says. And what if he had just accepted the indoctrination of the culture? Imagine if he had not taken a risk in interpreted dreams. That's, that is a scary... I don't know if you understand the time. but you interpret dreams and you're wrong, you're done. It's a risk. Imagine if he had given in and not stood for his faith. It was his decisions that he made day by day that made the difference. And what I need you to know is that the decisions you make in your life will impact and will affect those who come after you. It will impact the future. When you are given the choice to compromise, will you stand firm? When temptation comes, is it really no big deal because no one sees it? Or have you considered the bigger picture of what's at stake? It's so much bigger than me. It's so much bigger than you. It's so much bigger than right now, than us, because God can use our lives as a, to a, as a prequel to a story that's not even been written yet. God can use your life. God can use my life as a prequel to a story that is yet to be written. And he wants to use us in mighty ways. But we've got to ask ourselves this question as we get ready to break ground on the sacred ground. What kind of prequel am I writing? What prequel am I writing? What sacred ground in my life needs to be broken today so that those who come after me will be impacted by my story? That's the questions that we need to ask ourselves. God, how would you use me today? God, who do you want me to start praying for? What are the things that I'm doing? Where are the places that I'm compromising? What are the things, God, I need to see the bigger picture. And we get out that prequel lens and say, God, so much more is at stake than really my comfort, than what I have going on. As we close, I just want you to consider that. I want you to consider the prequel lens with that in mind to go to the Lord and say, God, what sacred ground in my life needs to be broken? what things in my life are I'm like, you know what? It just is what it is. I'll always, I'll always be this way and it just, I'm always going to have this or I'm always going to have that but you know, God's still good and I get all that but what if you considered about those that come after you and your decisions and your selfishness or your attitudes, whatever that looks like in your life to say, God, it's not about me right now. It's about who comes after. It's about The generation that comes after. It's about my children. It's about my niece. And it's about my nephew. And it's about my neighbors. It's about others. It's those who are coming after me. God, what do you want to do in my life? Where is the sacred ground that needs to be broken? Where do I need to be intentional and make changes? Where do I need to see freedom in my life? Some of you are so content with not having a place of freedom in your life because you kind of just are used to it now and you've learned to manage. And we say things like, oh, that's all right, I manage. Got. First of all, God wants more for you than that. But why don't you begin to break the sacred ground in your life and get that freedom, maybe not for yourself, but for someone else that's coming after you, for what God wants to do in their life. Will you stand with me today? I want to pray over you. And we're going to close and worship together. Would you just close your, bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord, we come before you today. Lord, we want to take the sacred ground. So, Lord God, what needs to, ever needs to happen within us, Lord, that you, during this series, Lord God, you would bring freedom to our hearts, Lord. I pray right now, today, that you would open up our eyes and open up our hearts to see the bigger picture, to see that our story was impacted by someone who walked before us, And our story is going to impact someone who walks after us. And so, God, I pray that today in the present that we are aware and we are conscious of this, Lord, and say, God, for the sake of my future, for the sake of who comes after God, I'm going to get to work. I'm not going to settle for this any longer. I'm going to get out of this place. It's uncomfortable, but I'm going to do it, Lord, because there's a prequel that I need to write for someone else's story. Lord, would you begin to reveal to each one of us today, God, what it is that you want to do during this series. Prepare our hearts, Lord God, right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we declare over this region revival that is to come. And Lord, let it begin with us. Let us begin writing that story, Lord God. Let us be a people who pray. Let us be a people who intercede. Let us be a people who repent. Let us be a people who don't compromise, Lord God that leads to a great move of you, Lord God, where, where the lost are found and rescued and saved. Lord God, we trust you and we ask you to do this in Jesus' mighty name.